Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. We're here with today's guest, a coach who has his program on the rise, and it's a difficult job who he is making it seem easy as he really gets that program transitioning. The head coach of Wyoming, Jeff Linder. Jeff, appreciate you joining. How is life, I guess you could say, on the range uh, in Laramie? How, how is life? No, Dan, I appreciate you having me on. Life life is good in, in Laradice. Um I love to fly fish, so um, you know. Unfortunately, like Fuey, where he has to go a long ways to get to places to to fly fish. For me, I got some of the best water in the lower forty-eight within an hour or two hours. So um, I'm in a good place. It's a great fit for me. It's a great fit for my family, and just um, very excited about the future of the University of Wyoming basketball and where we're headed. And um, knowing that it's not easy, as you well know, but. Um, I think we got some good pieces, all things being considered, especially getting the job right before COVID, uh, which makes things really interesting. And, and at least now we're starting to get back on some sense of normalcy where, you know, last last year, I mean, just to get through practice was hard uh, with the number of guys we had and with COVID. So now to have 15 bodies to be able to play five on five, um, it's been a nice change. You mentioned the word fit, and I think that's so very important for players this day and age because of the ability and the ease of using the transfer rules. It's also a, a word that I think not enough coaches look at when they're exploring coaching opportunities for themselves. What was it about the fit of Wyoming for you? Because you're from Colorado originally. You were doing a tremendous job at Northern Colorado in four years. You had them uh, back on track as one of the better programs in the big sky but uh what was it about wyoming that made you say this is the spot for me for the foreseeable future well i think it was probably the fact that i grew up grew up in colorado uh, grew up in in north denver so wyoming's not too far away spent a lot of time in the summer times at the lakes water skiing and fishing and so um, i like the outdoors having been at boise state having seen um you know, the support that the University of Wyoming got, especially when you went to the conference tournament, as you know, um, you know, last year was kind of funky with no fans, but usually, you know, come conference tournament time, San Diego State has a lot of people there. And then Wyoming always had a lot of people there. And uh, having been at Northern Colorado in Northern Colorado, only, you know, an hour and a half away from Laramie, when my sons who play AAU would play in the AAU tournaments at the, at the local place, You'd always know, you know, when Wyoming, you're playing a Wyoming team because you'd always see the brown and gold. And um, and that always resonated with me because it is the one the one four year school in the state. I mean, no other state in the country could say that 
Um, Alaska, sometimes I got to remind recruits, Alaska has two with Fairbanks and Anchorage. And so for you to be the one team, I mean, you are these, the pro sports team. You are at a place where people care. And I think in this day and age, with so many distractions and so many things going on that, um, you know, college sports has kind of gone by the wayside in terms of just, you know, where alumni, former players, where people really care. And I think Wyoming, when you put the right product on the floor, you have the entire state behind you. Um, you have an alumni base behind you. And for me, which has been really nice is the former players. Um, you know, Wyoming's not for everyone. And that's something like in recruiting that, you know, we deal with on the front end. Uh, you know, we're not going to sit here and try to trick somebody to come in here. We're going to tell them what the weather's like. We're going to tell how we are on a daily basis. And if it's for them, great. If it's not, at least we eliminate them on the front end to where now, you know, two years from you know, now, they're not saying, hey, I got tricked to go to Wyoming. Now I want to put my name in the transfer portal. And so uh, to have the former players who came from a lot of different places who really love Wyoming and love their experience, it's been really good for me to see that because you'd think that'd be at a lot of places. You saw that at Gonzaga. I mean, that's what, you know, Coach, you know, Coach probably start with Fitz and Munson and then with Coach Few. It was always my times at the coaches versus cancers deal and always kind of being around those guys and being somewhat close to the program, um, you know, being with Leon and knowing all those guys. It was just that was the uniqueness of Gonzaga was just, you know, how close those guys were um, and just, you know, how they just they were truly a family that that word gets thrown around in recruiting. But a lot of times for former players, if you know, if you can't do something for them, they're nowhere to be found. And so for the former players to to really support the program like the way they do, um, it's, it's been a good change. You mentioned the passion of the fan base being the only uh, four-year school in the state. Um, when that fan base is really going, and I've had a chance to broadcast a couple games. I remember a few years back, it was a, a San Diego State game at home in Laramie, and it was a, a game that Wyoming won in the final seconds. I was blown away by just the intensity of the crowd. You go to the conference tournament like you're talking about, and Cowboy Ken uh, is one of the, the loudest, most outgoing fans that's there. How does that really uh, help and energize your team? Because there, there's lots of ways to look at it. Um, you know, it can add unrealistic expectations or it can add excitement. How do you look at that for being helpful to your team? Well, you know, it's funny, and, and hopefully I think he's actually coming up to watch us work out tomorrow, but I heard George Carl, you know, once talk about how you need, in order to be a championship team, you have to have, um, you have to have like a championship type crowd. Uh, you have to have that, you know, that just adds so much more energy and it creates such an advantage. And I think that's a, a big part of my job is one to put, you know, to, to recruit the right players, to recruit players that are good enough to um, get people in the stands. And I think Wyoming, what this place has shown is if you do have the right players, people will come. And I do know that from other places that I've been, especially when you're at the University of Northern Colorado, and as good as we were there, I mean, two of the two of the four years and we were a top 100 team in the country. And when you're in the front range area of Denver, where you got UNC, CSU, CU, DU, um, Air Force. I mean, there's just so many other things going on where you could have a really good program and, and nobody really cares. And, uh, and I think that's where, you know, this has always been such a hard place to play, not to mention the altitude in which freaks everybody out. But um, the fact that, you know, you will have, regardless if there's, you know, if it's zero degrees outside and the wind's blowing 40 miles an hour, 
if you have the right product on the floor, you're going to have 10,000 people in the stands. And I think that's why they've had such a, you know, huge home court advantage over the course of the history of the program. I think the winning percentage is above 75%. And it's not just because you're at 7220, but the fact that you actually have a, you know, a fan base that really appreciates and supports the program. How do you sell that to recruits? Because it's becoming a, a very interesting dynamic of how to navigate the recruiting process because the grad transfer rules impacting people, the ability to transfer and become eligible is easy. Uh, I can imagine a lot of your opponents use your location uh, against you guys in recruiting. How do you kind of sift through all the possible negatives and share the positives about your program with players? I mean, it's one of those deals where if I have to trick a guy in recruiting, you're the wrong guy anyways. And so I think for us, I mean, we know exactly the type of guys that we want to recruit, you know, based off of how we play, especially which you would think would be what most coaches would do. But a lot of times coaches just want talent, which I'm not sure what talent means. I mean, I think we got a, a specific system offensively that we recruit to, whether that's our guards, our wings or our post um, and making sure that we identify those guys and when you're in a place like Wyoming or like my time at Boise State with Leon, when you draw a 200 mile radius around Laramie, Boise, there's not a lot of players that are gonna help you win the Mountain West. And so now you gotta go into somebody else's backyard into somebody else's pond and try to get a player. And you better have a pretty damn good idea of, of what you're trying to do. Um, Cause if not, you're just, you're wasting time and you're wasting money. And so as my job as a head coach is to make sure that I really explain to my assistants what we are looking for. And by looking for that and eliminating a lot of those things on the front end, now once you can get a kid to campus, the campus and the community sell itself. I mean, we have we have power five facilities. I mean, as good as they get in the country, um, we have all the resources um, that any school in the country has. I mean, we charter five to six trips a year. Um, you know, we have everything you could possibly need from a resources a facility standpoint. It's just the hard part is, is it's your proximity to players. And if you're worried about the weather, you know what, at the end of the day, then you're worried about the wrong things anyways, because the guys that I want, it's 72 degrees in the gym, whether you're in Pepperdine at Malibu, whether or not you're in Miami, it's the same deal. So we want guys for the right reasons. And um, hopefully we do a good job of eliminating those guys in the front end and letting them know how hard it's going to be. I mean, especially if you want to be good. As you know, I mean, it's not it's not easy. It's not for everyone. Everybody tells me in recruiting that they love to play. But I know once you get here, those love it guys are usually like it guys. And somehow, some way we want to find the live it guys. And um, probably in 20 years of coaching the college level, I'm not sure how many live it guys I've actually had. Not a, not a lot. Those guys are really hard to find. Like a guy like you would probably you were a live it guy. That's why you ended up having the career you had. Um, but the more guys that we could find that live it or love it, because there's too many, once they get here, they just like it. And if you like it and you're playing for the wrong coach and you're not going to be here very long. Yeah, it's so true because when I was in high school, I didn't really look at Gonzaga. Well, Gonzaga wasn't what they are now, but I didn't really look at them either because I didn't want to deal with the cold and the snow. Now, Laramie is a whole nother level of cold and snow in the winter, uh, but I chose the rain of Seattle and University of Washington. Luckily, things worked out well for me. When I look at your, your coaching path, you've been a part of some really good programs at the junior college, the Division II, uh, and then the Division I level before getting your, your head coaching opportunity. 
is there one or two coaches along your journey that have really kind of had maybe a little bit more influence than others on you building your own philosophy and helping you become ready for the Wyoming job? Well, I mean, first, you know, Ricardo Patton, you know, he didn't have to give me the opportunity to basically be like a volunteer assistant once I got done playing um, back in 2000 and um, forever thankful for him to allow me to, to be in the program and, it's funny over time. I, mean, I used to be working out Jamal Mosley. Now, you know, look at Jamal. Jamal's coaching the Orlando Magic. But Coach Coach Patton always said, you know, he had a way with, with words. He said, I don't need tricky plays. I just need tricky players. And um, that always that always stuck with me. You always got to make sure there's never been Hall of Fame coaches without Hall of Fame players. And so that was the first thing. And then fortunately for me, I shared an office with David Moe, who was the son of Doug Moe, the former Denver Nuggets head coach, uh, who was, you know, kind of a – innovator offensively, you know, back in the, the late seventies and the eighties in terms of how they played offensively. And so for me to go with coach Moto Emporia state um, after that one year at Colorado and to, to see how he coaches offense offense. And, you know, you could probably trace, you know, I think us offensively were as good as anybody in the country. Um, having been an assistant for him, there's a lot of things that I take from him. And then also you look at, the guy that was an assistant for me, assistant after me, at uh, at Emporia State, Ben McCollum, who a lot of people don't know, but will soon find out. And uh, he's as good as any coach in the country, and he's had the best team in the you know in the country offensively at Northwest Missouri State, uh, Division II school, who has won probably four out of the last five national championships. But both of us were assistants under Coach Mo, and I think a lot of the things that that we do offensively or some of the concepts. Uh, derived from him. And so he had a huge impact offensively on us. And then um, I've had a lot of guys, if I could go down a list. And I think that's the big thing too, when guys get into coaching is that ultimately, um, you know, who you surround yourself is what's going to allow you to grow. And I think in coaching, sometimes too many guys nowadays, you know, they chase it for the wrong reason. They chase it for the money. And um, as some of these guys that come to me and ask me, well, how do I get into coaching? I was like, well, you know, here, this is what I made my first six, seven years as a coach. When I was at Midland Junior College with Grant McCaslin, who's now the head coach in North Texas. I mean, I had two kids while we were in Midland, my first two. I mean, we were making $25,000 a year and uh, living off Subway coupon stamps. And uh, but those are the things you did. You didn't think about the money you were making because that's why you weren't in it. And so I think a lot of times now, you know, people chase it for the wrong reasons. I, I think I came up the right way, surround myself with the right people. Uh, Coach Ray at Weber State, you know, Rex Walters was our grad, you know, he was our grad assistant after he got done playing in the NBA when I was in Emporia State. Um, and then with those relationships with Randy Ray, Tad Boyle was, I was in high school. He was, uh, my first game as a high school sophomore on varsity was his first game as a high school head coach at Longmont High School. And so now Coach Mo, that group of guys, Coach Mo, Coach Few, Coach Boyle, Coach Turgeon, Leon, those group of guys became my group of guys. And eventually, you know, that's kind of how your tree grows and just very fortunate to, to have been associated with the right people who do it the right way. And that's the thing that in this day and age right now, you, you really appreciate the Mark Fuse, the Leon Rices, uh, the Randy Rays, the Tad Boyles, um, Grant McCaslin, who, who have found a way to win at this level without cheating. And that's, and there's something to be said for that because you know, and I know that it's, that's not necessarily, it's a lot harder to do it the right way than it is to do it the wrong way. Yeah. So true. A lot of really uh, great coaches that you name there, but in particular, Ben McCollum, I didn't know you guys were connected. I had him on 
as a guest a month or so ago. I've covered a couple of the national uh, title games at the Division II level. I've always come away blown away after watching him play with the spacing that they play with uh, and the the ability to to make sure guys are in the right spots. Um, what is it maybe about Division II basketball that um, allows a freedom of the game, I guess, offensively? Because um, I don't. I hate to say that you're playing with less talented players, but I think the coaches have to look past some possible flaws in players when they put together a roster. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think it just – I think what happened in my experience at Division Two too is you have to train your eye to, you know, who can actually help you win games and who you can get, and so you're not wasting time trying to get a guy that you can't get, and knowing that um, at that level you might not have the, the the same type of athletes, and especially since the NCAA kind of changed the rules, where it's not as easy to get maybe some of the junior college guys and some of the guys that were in Division Two 20 years ago. Um, you know, back in the day, like Kentucky Wesleyan, I mean, they were as talented as any high major team in the country back in the early 2000s because they got every every junior college guy that was a high major guy that couldn't qualify for Division One. They would get those guys, you know, along with some other guys. But I think at the end of the day, Division Two is really it's it's about skill level and um, you know maybe guys that maybe were overlooked just because from an athleticism standpoint, but from a skill standpoint. And I think the ability to you know, process things, I mean, I think intelligence wise, and I think that's a huge separator. I mean, um, you get to this level and especially you get to the next level, which I tell my guys all the time. And the reason why you probably survived as long as you did in the NBA, too, is that, I mean, intelligence, each level you go up, intelligence plays a huge factor. And it's not necessarily because you graduated from Harvard. I mean, I mean, I've played with some guys and coached some guys that you know struggle to do some things off the court in the classroom, but you get in between the lines and they, they're a savant. And so I think at the division two level, and I think coach McCollum's got a plan. He recruits to a certain style and um, it's allowed him to have, you know, unprecedented success. And it's unfortunate because a guy like him, um, you know, every level there's good coaches and bad coaches. And um, it's just unfortunate that, you know, he doesn't win the press conference. And that's where I think a lot of ADs make a lot of mistakes is because they, you know, they see the D2 stigma where, Lo and behold, that D2 team at Northwest Missouri would probably be, especially last year's team that they had, would have been a top 150 team in the country, maybe a top 100 team in Division I basketball. I mean, go look what they did at Duke two years ago in the exhibition game where they almost beat them. And guarantee you this, Duke wanted no part of the national championship team that they usually play on game one in the exhibition. They wanted nothing to do with Trevor Hudgens and Diego Bernard and those guys. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I, I, he told me the story about how they hung in there right till the end against Duke. And, uh, you know, you pull for programs like that to get opportunities to play against Division One powers. And too bad it, it wasn't going to happen this year. NIL, name, image, likeness is a big, big hot topic right now. With you guys being the only four-year school uh, in your state, uh, do you guys have an extra – kind of set of responsibility to help your players with that right now? Well, I mean, I think we all have a, a responsibility to a certain degree, but I mean, I think, you know, a lot of it has to do more so just, you know, with, with the player themselves in terms of their productivity, as, a, as I tell our guys, Hey, the more you win and the more we do things, that's, that's only going to help your cause. And luckily for me, I don't have, I don't have a bunch of guys that are worried about that. Um, 
And I have some guys who are smart enough to where they can kind of promote themselves and do some things. But, um, you know, being that we are the one, you know, the one team in the state, I mean, I think that opens up some doors maybe to some things that, um, you know, some other places might not have. But, you know, unfortunately, I mean, it, it really, I mean, it's all it's turned into is just, you know, how do you find a way to legally cheat now? You know, where where the boosters behind the scenes that were, you know, for, for many, many of years since basketball, football had been started, um, you know, found ways to, to, to pay players. Well, now, lo and behold, now they, they don't have to hide behind the curtain. And I just think it's, it's not what it's intended to be. Hopefully, at some point, there'll be some, you know, more of a national legislation that allows to kind of keep it to a, a level playing field. Because as of right now, I mean, you know, you hear the stories in the recruiting world behind the scenes of summertime and just all the, you know, just, you know, just like anything recruiting, guys will tell you anything. And now guys are just, you know, throwing out wild numbers to kids about the money that they're making. And last time I checked, the economy is not that good to where, and it's already hard enough right now for small business owners and local owners to, to stay afloat and actually maybe even to get somebody to work for them right now. I mean, just trying to go get food or trying to get, I mean, it's, it's impossible, but I don't see them just say, Hey, I'm just going to fork over a bunch of money, um, you know, to this kid when I'm barely making ends meet. And so if our guys can benefit from it, great. Unfortunately, I just think it's there's a lot of unintended consequences that they didn't really think out. And I think now it's just being used as pretty much just a way to hand people money, um, so-called legally. And I think in the end, though, it'll it'll play itself out just like the transfer market, where when in recruiting guys, you know, 95 now, and I won't say 95, 80 percent of the schools in the country in recruiting, they all talk about player development. Lo and behold, when you get there, there is no such thing as player development. They don't know how to get their players better. And I don't blame those players, you know, when they go to those schools and they were told one thing on the front end and then you get there and there's like, you know, assistant coaches are out trying to recruit the other guy. You're in the gym with the GA or the manager. Well, that's where we separate ourselves. That's where Gonzaga separated themselves in terms of getting the guys that, you know, you, you know, knowing the guys that you have are the most important ones and, and developing those guys. And I think now with the name, image and likeness where, some of these schools are throwing out, you know, crazy numbers and these kids are going to get there and realize that those numbers don't exist. And then lo and behold, I think you're going to see a lot of those kids end up in the transfer portal. Yeah. I think there, there are uh, a lot of unpromised expectations that are going to be disappointing for a lot of student athletes. Um, and hopefully it does not impact uh, college basketball too much because it's going to take some time to kind of sift through best practices and, maybe how to regulate it as best as possible. Uh, but as a college basketball fan, I'm hoping it gets figured out sooner rather than later uh, without any huge issues that come up. Give us a little bit of an outlook for this upcoming season, because I know, you know, we're, we're only a short bit of time away from first official practices. First games are right around the, the first of November. So give us a little bit of outlook on uh, the Cowboys this upcoming season. Well, I mean, you saw our last game um, of the year when, as you said, I like to play fast and we, we completely slowed it down against San Diego State. Yeah, that, that was a shock of the way I prepared kind of my, my notes and my plan for the broadcast. One of the fastest teams slowed it down. Uh, but you got to do what you got to do as a coach, right? No, there's no question. I was going to get beat by 30 again like I did the first two times. So I learned I learned my lesson. But um you know, I, I think for us, I mean, I think we got a chance to be, I think we got a chance to be pretty good. I think I got one of the better young post players in the country. I think Graham EK is going to be phenomenal. I mean, there's a guy that, 
you know, luckily in some ways COVID was actually a blessing because he was actually able to play because he didn't get cleared till the middle of January because he was coming off an ACL tear from this high school season. So here's a guy that just gets thrown into the mix, wasn't able to do anything five on five, five on O, gets cleared middle of January. And, and for the impact that he had, um, considering that he's a basically a, a just turned 18 year old freshman and um, he's got he's he's done some things that just are scary. And he goes from a guy that a year ago at this time it was six nine with shoes on. Now he's six ten. He's a seven six wingspan guy. He has thirteen inch long hands going from his pinky to his thumb. He's, his hands are actually bigger than Kawhi Leonard's, and he's a guy that you know went from you know twenty percent body fat down to twelve percent. He's two hundred forty. I mean he's he's got a chance to be a monster. And then you add him with Hunter Maldonado, who I think is one of the more versatile versatile post players or versatile players in the league. I mean a guy that we use in a lot of different ways and. Um, he'll be a point guard. He'll be a point forward. I mean, we put him in a lot of different situations that cause people problems and his, his versatility will make us tough. And then, you know, I think Xavier Ducell was playing as good as any freshman in the league, probably the best freshman in the league, the last, even though Marcus Williams got freshman of the year, uh, X was probably the, the best freshman in the league probably the last month of the season in terms of what he was doing, his ability to shoot, his ability to guard. And so, um, you know, I think we got some good pieces, um, Problem is when we were the youngest team, or I think we we're the fifth youngest team in the country last year. Fortunately, nobody got any older because everybody got their year back. So we're still we're still young, but um, you know, luckily our young guys got experience, which is always the biggest thing. And um, now they got the experience of actually playing and practicing the way that we do because um, we're not under all the the restrictions and craziness of COVID. So we're we're able, like the other day you know, in an hour and a half, I mean, we got up and down, we had about 90 possessions and I don't think we had 90 possessions of five on five all of last year. Um, and so with the numbers and with contact tracing and all that. So looking forward to it, the Mountain West is going to be tough. I mean, I think it's, you know, I've, I've seen the league for the last 10 years, saw it at its peak in 2013 when we had five NCAA tournament teams. I think it's probably since 2013, I think it might be the deepest and the best it's been this year. And so no, we're going to have to be ready to roll, but uh, excited for the opportunity. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the time. I look forward to uh, following the Mountain West Conference. Hopefully get a chance to call a few of the of the Wyoming games this year. And if if there is a trip to Laramie in, in my future, hopefully I don't have to deal with those 40 mile per hour wind and snowstorms that you had mentioned at the top. So thanks again for joining. Thanks, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.